You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. A very practical exhortation from yesterday's daily readings yesterday by Brother Ron Cowie. Brother Ron is known for his plain speaking when it comes to our walk in the truth. And I hope and pray that you'll find this exhortation really helpful as you go throughout the week. God bless. Brother Chairman and my dear brethren and sisters, as the year 2021 draws to a close, we reflect upon a year of COVID disruption, mask wearing, and a rapidly changing world scene. So many realignments of nations have occurred this year which fulfil Bible prophecy, and we are therefore encouraged. But the world is incredibly volatile, and we are seeing more rapidly changing alliances every day. Without the faith in the future that we have, the outlook for the world would be very worrying. The aggressive expansion of China so similar to the German expansion before World War II. And now we have China armed with nuclear missiles that can't be intercepted. China is building naval bases, airstrips and even cities in the South China Sea, in Papua New Guinea, Kiribati, Pacific Island states, and the Solomons and Yumea are currently in chaos over this Chinese intrusion. Russia is threatening to invade the Ukraine. Belarus and Poland are at odds as desperate refugees are used as political weapons. And refugees are streaming over borders everywhere, desperate to find sanctuary. There is climate change and the politics around it. A nuclear armed North Korea and a nuclear armed Iran. And what might Israel do in that regard? And then we have the Omicron strain of COVID spreading rapidly in Europe. The fragility of world trade illustrated by the blockage of the Suez Canal this year. The world finances are in ruins. So many nations in financial distress, famine or civil war. And we know the Lord said, when you see these things come to pass, that is trouble, perplexity and fear, lift yourselves up for your redemption draws near. And it's that redemption I want to consider today, the redemption we have in Christ Jesus and the sure hope of the resurrection that flows from it. Mortality is something we inherit as our misfortune. It's something that none of us can avoid and it has to be faced squarely. It's not easy to face mortality when you're young and healthy, when life stretches out before you. But for any of us, death can come suddenly and unexpectedly. Think of the brethren murdered by the Taliban or the ISIS in Afghanistan. Think of the scores of brethren and sisters we've lost to COVID in our mission areas already. In one case, both parents taken, leaving orphans. Accidents happen. 
Sudden illness strikes, inevitably every year, as we've seen from the announcements this morning, we lose a number of much-loved faces from our midst. And some have lost parents, some have lost partners, and perhaps the hardest of all to bear, some have lost their children to the grim hand of mortality. And Job had lost 10 adult children. And he was facing what seemed to him to be a grim, slow death for himself. And we have the words of Job before us this morning. We know that not all Job's responses to God were fully appropriate. But his statements about his faith were perfect and therefore are so encouraging to us. In fact, we owe so much to Job. He is perhaps the most eloquent Old Testament writer in his expressions of confidence of the coming day of resurrection. And amidst tragic and incomprehensible losses of family, wealth and health, Job hangs on tenaciously to the hope of the resurrection. But like Job, we often ask the question, why does God allow tragedies and untimely deaths to occur? Why are the already persecuted in Afghanistan killed? Why are the parents in India taken from their children? Why were the children that Job prayed for taken from him? And like Job and his wife, we can't easily grasp the wider and greater purposes of the hand of God. We can't always grasp that God has a much bigger view, especially sometimes to save others. We can't always grasp that God has plans wider than we can perceive in our time of grief. And while we hang grimly onto life, we find that God buries his faithful workmen and closes their account because he knows their resurrection is sure. Think of King Josiah, highly commended for his godly reaction to the law that was found, immediately being told by the prophetess that he would die young, and he died at the age of 39. Hezekiah only got 15 extra years. John the Baptist was under 35 when he was beheaded. James, the brother of John, was killed by Herod when so much guidance was needed in the early ecclesia, and Stephen was stoned for his faith. And we understand that God does not see the death of believers as harshly as we do. We are very saddened when people die before their time. But the Bible says, precious in the sight of Yahweh is the death of all his saints. All his saints are in the book of life. We have that symbol of God's impeccable memory of everything about them that does not fade, nor will be forgotten. And God says of himself, I am the God of Abraham. I am, not was, I am. In God's eyes, Abraham was alive in the kingdom because Yahweh is not a God of the dead, but a God of saints guaranteed to live forever with him. Let's look at Job's testimony about mortality in Job 14, picking up the record from verse 7. Job having described how that man born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble, 
says this about mortality in general. And I want you to notice there's a statement here in verse 8, right down to the end of verse 12, about mortality in the general sense of the world. And then there's the difference from verse 13 onwards. There's hope of a tree, he says in verse 7, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and the tender branch thereof will not cease. And though the root wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die in the ground, yet with the scent of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. If you ever cut down a gum tree in Australia and forgot to poison it, you'll know the truth of that statement. It will sprout again. It'll become just as big a gum tree in time as the one you cut down. Trees are like that. But it's not so with man. Verse 10. But man dieth and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the spirit. And where is he? They disappear from the face of the earth. Just like the waters of a flood recede. So man lieth down and riseth not. Till the heavens be no more. They shall not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. And that is true of all flesh. The vast majority do not rise again. But then we come to the fate of believers in verse 13. Those who know God have a different outcome awaiting them. They are different to the vast majority who die and will never be seen again. And here comes the faith of Job, this excellent expression of faith. Oh, that thou would hide me in the grave, that thou would keep me secret until thy wrath be passed that they would appoint me a set time and remember me. And you can see how different this is to what he said before about mortality in general. And then he says this in verse 14. If a man dies, shall he live again? And he answers that question for himself. All the days of my appointed time, I will wait. Whatever time he's going to be in the grave. He said, you know how long I'll, I'll lie in this grave. But the time will come. The set time will come, and I'll wait till my change, or as the ESV has, my renewal comes. And that's a wonderful thing to think about, the renewing of what you were. The set time will come. Thou shalt call, and I will answer thee. Remember Lazarus? Lazarus, come forth. The voice of the trumpet. The voice of command. Thou shalt call and I will answer thee and thou shalt have a desire to the work of thy hands. God has begun a work in us and he will not forget. He will not leave that work unfinished. Just come to chapter 19 of Job. We're going to read from verse 25 to verse 27. And I'll be reading from the ESV, which is a little clearer. Job 19, verse 25. For I know, says Job, that my Redeemer lives... And at the last he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has thus been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me at the prospect. What a tremendous vision Job had of the future. He was a man who'd lost everything in this life, even his children. And he's got this great vision of where God is going to take him in the set time. And we ought to be also, brethren and sisters, overwhelmed 
to know that our God has that same special future waiting for us as he had for Job. And later Job would see that though every material possession that he had lost was returned double, his ten children were not doubly replaced. And God was telling him in that that they were safe in God's future plans. They didn't need replacing like camels and oxen and sheep did. And a parent like Job, who was worried about their spirituality while they were alive, now knew they were safe in God's keeping. They did not have to be replaced as everything else was. And so Job is one of the most eloquent expressors of the hope of the resurrection in the Old Testament. The other one we look to is David. I want you to come to Psalm 71. You know, David wrote many things about the future because he was able to live to a good old age and to reflect upon his life. Not everyone gets the chance to do that. Psalm 71, picking up from verse 17. O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. And the young David, of course, was very expressive about the greatness of God in his psalms. Now, he says, also, when I am old and grey-headed, O God, forsake me not, until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. And for those of us who are coming into that old and grey-headed phase, our responsibility is to make sure the younger generation are prepared to carry on the mantle. Thy righteousness, O God, is very high, who has done great things, O God, who is like unto thee. And listen to these beautiful words. Thou which hast showed me great and sore troubles. You know, David recognised that God had taken him through the valleys of life, shall quicken me, shall make me alive again, and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You know, what a fantastic expression of faith. Thou shalt increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. Have you ever thought what it's going to be like in the day of resurrection for those in Christ who rise first? How much will be needed the comforting work of the ministering angels? The resurrected will have many questions, many concerns about their family, confusion about how much time has gone past, and maybe a sense of shock that what they hoped for really has happened. There will be people raised who died suddenly in accidents. There will be people who died suddenly from heart attacks. Others who died in a fog of pain or medication or dementia. Not many people get the chance to face their impending death squarely in their right mind as David did. But David says, we will be comforted on every side. And then he says in verse 22, I will also praise thee with the psaltery, even thy truth, O my God. I will sing with a harp, O thou holy one of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing unto thee. And David can see himself singing for joy after the initial comforting of the resurrection. Here are some more words of David. Don't need to turn them up. Psalm 17. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Psalm 149, for Yahweh taketh pleasure in his people. 
He will beautify the meek with salvation. God will retain our individuality, brethren and sisters, taking away the blemishes and the flaws of mortality and the scars of age. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Psalm 58, so that a man will say, Verily there is a reward for the righteous. Verily he is a God that judgeth in the earth. And all the sacrifices and the sufferings that have been endured for the sake of the truth shall be vindicated. There is a reward for the righteous. I want you to come to Daniel chapter 12. You know, the prophet Daniel had a long life and he also was able to face death and the end of his life knowing that God would raise him from the dead. We have the wonderful words in Daniel chapter 12. Verse 1. The promise made by Gabriel to Daniel and to us. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince. Of course, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, the great one of Israel, now in charge of the angelic host. He shall come with all his mighty angels to gather the elect, the great prince that stands for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. And it's very likely, brethren and sisters, we will see some of that beginnings of the time of trouble. At the same time shall thy people be delivered. Every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now notice the many there. Many that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. There will be a great company of those who have believed and understood the truth who will be raised. But there are a very small proportion of those who have lived on the face of the earth. Many a number of the saints and believers, but about 99.9% .9 of the world will stay in the grave. In verse 3, they that shall be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. A glorious promise, brethren and sisters, for the future of those that stand with their God. And Daniel in verse 13 has his personal promise at the end of his book, but go thy way, Daniel, till the end be, until the set time. For thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. And so Daniel was promised guaranteed acceptance into the kingdom of God. He would stand in the presence of the Son of Man in his place. In chapter 7 and verse 27, there are also some very encouraging words in the book of Daniel. Daniel 7 and verse 27. At the end of the prophecy that has to do with the long persecution of the saints and all of those who would lose their lives as the Catholic Church would wear out the saints of the Most High with its persecutions. And then in verse 27, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. You know, I love those words. In verse 22, it says, And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. And that concept of a set time, a time of the end, the time that God knows will go by before the dead are raised, goes right through the Bible. And the resurrection was clearly taught by our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Martha said to him in John 11, I know that, he, that Lazarus shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She had it clear. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? It doesn't mean we won't go into the grave. Jesus said, if you believe in him, you will never die permanently. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. And they shall come forth, they that have done good, to the resurrection of life. And Paul preached the resurrection boldly. Come to Acts chapter 17. Let's hear the Apostle Paul speaking to the Greeks on Mars Hill. We know the situation, don't we, that he was there in, in Athens, greatly moved by the idolatry of the city. And he began this speech to the Epicureans and the Stoics, the intellectuals of his age. Verse 18. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him, and some said, what will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemed to be a set of forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And Paul was using the word in the Greek, the anastasis. And people thought, therefore, he was talking about some new god. So in verse 19, they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, to the debating chamber. May we know what this new doctrine is. We would know what these things mean. You can imagine how the Greeks were confused because in the Greek world, people believed in souls going to the Hades underworld. When you died, they knew the body was still there. So they said the soul must have gone somewhere. So the souls would go off into the Hades underworld, along the river Styx, pay the ferryman, all that sort of tradition. And then they would either burn in Hades eternally or they would go to the Elysian fields. And you can see where the founding ideas of the Catholic immortal soul theories came from. But to the Greeks, the resurrection was a totally foreign idea. Bodily resurrection? That's why they imagined Anastasis that Paul was talking about might be this, this god they had missed out on. And they wanted to know about it. And once Paul explained that God had raised Jesus from the dead, they scorned the idea of a bodily resurrection. And it's been true of educated men in our world ever since that they scorn the idea that God can raise the dead. And Paul before Agrippa and Festus said this, I have hope towards God, which they themselves allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And he said, this is written in the law and the prophets. At the end of his life, Paul was equally confident. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. And the true hope of all saints has been the set time, the time of the end, that day in which God will intervene in human affairs. The first thing he will do is to raise the dead. Come to the first of Thessalonians, chapter 4. You know, we know the process so well, don't we, that God has in store. And Paul had to write to the Thessalonians because some of their members had died. And they had to get around in their heads that much time might go by. 
And Paul makes it clear that there will be those who are alive when the Lord comes and there will be many who have been in the grave. I'm reading from the ESV from verse 14 onwards. For if we believe that Jesus has died and risen again, and I want you to notice that, we'll come back to that a bit later. If we believe that Jesus has died and risen again, we also believe that through Jesus, God will bring with him those who shall have passed away. For this we declare unto you in the Lord's own authority, that we who are alive and continue on the earth until the coming of the Lord shall certainly not precede those who shall have previously passed away. We won't go before them. The dead will rise first. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud word of command and an archangel's voice and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Afterwards, we who are alive and are still on the earth will be caught up in their company amid clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And that, of course, is a symbol of the future rulership of the saints. But gathered in clouds... And we shall be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And both in the Timothy quote we read about Paul's impending death and his hope, and in these words in Thessalonians, I want you to notice the tremendous confidence that Paul has and the absence of fear. If we really believe that God has raised Jesus from the dead, we believe he can also raise us. And as we age and mortality asserts itself, the crumbling house of Ecclesiastes 12 certainly comes into focus. Insecurities, fear of falling, more constant ills, pain, limitations on hearing and eyesight, aching or false joints, and endless sitting in medical waiting rooms. The power of the resurrection becomes much more meaningful as we age and as we lose some of our valued friends. I want you to come to one of the prophets, Isaiah 26, that Paul alluded to when he said before Festus, to the resurrection attest all the prophets of Israel. And you can go back to many places, but let's go to Isaiah 26, a chapter that points out that the people who ruled over Israel, the other lords who ruled over them and dominated them, they are dead, they shall not rise. They shall sleep forever. But it's not so with God's people. Isaiah 26, we're going to pick it up in verse 19. And I want you to notice in this Old Testament prophecy about the resurrection, the happiness that pervades it. The parable of the Jew coming up to meet the rising sun. And I'm reading from the ESV again in verse 19. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall arise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your Jew is as the Jew of lights, and the earth will give birth to the dead. You know what a wonderful figure it is. As the rising sun comes up, the Jew is drawn from the earth to reflect the, reflect the divine light. And then the gathering in verse 20, come my people into your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. And this is the time of trouble such as never was that will culminate in Armageddon. For behold, Yahweh is coming out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. 
and the earth will disclose the bloodshed upon it and will no more cover its slain. And the last prophecy of the Bible is just as eloquent. Come to Revelation chapter 11. In Revelation chapter 11, we have the glorious words about the resurrection in verse 18. Revelation 11 verse 18. Confirming the hope of the resurrection, which from Abel onwards people have put their faith in. And the nations were angry in verse 18, and thy wrath is come. You see, again, this is coincidental with the time of trouble and the, and the judgments of God being poured out. And the time of the dead, there it is again, the set time that Job spoke about. The time of the dead, that they should be judged, that you should give reward to thy servants, the prophets. And I want you to notice how often in Revelation God brings a special category for the prophets. You know, these are those that God loves because they fearlessly spoke his word and were persecuted and harassed and murdered for it. And God always puts them in a special category in the apocalypse. Thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints. Almost like an afterthought, isn't it? But God has a special category for those prophets. And look what it says there. And them that fear thy name, small and great, and should destroy those that corrupt the earth. Small and great together, brethren and sisters, in this life, people might be a king, they might be a governor, they might be a fisherman or a bootmaker. But when we come to the resurrection, in that gracious gift of life, all will be stand before God as mortals in need of immortality. And rulers and kings will stand next with the poor farmers from Africa. And God will forget none of them because they believe in his son. Look what it says in Revelation chapter 7. And this is particularly for us. We sometimes quote Revelation 21 about God wiping away all tears from the faces of all flesh, which will only happen at the end of the millennium. But for those in Christ, Revelation 7 is their promise. Look what it says in verse 16 of Revelation 7. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. It's a beautiful promise, brethren and sisters, for those that will be resurrected to be with Christ. Revelation 22, just as eloquent. Revelation 22, and reading from verse 12 to verse 14. And behold, I come suddenly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, and while we must have faith, we must also be obedient to the commandments of God. We must do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. And I want you to think about what a great miracle the resurrection really is going to be. It will be the greatest miracle seen on this earth since the time of the creation. That incredible memory of God remaking bodies. 
bringing them back in a healthy physical and mental condition. That's a miracle enough in itself. But you think of the miracle of restoring them to life with all their memories and experiences returned to their minds, with all their knowledge and their wisdom remade and imprinted back on their minds. That surely, brethren and sisters, must be the greatest miracle that will ever be seen on this planet. That God can bring back Abraham and Abel and Enoch and Noah and all of those who died in faith under the persecution of the church in good bodily health and fully restored in mind. And our brethren and sisters who died in dementia of sound mind as we once loved them and knew them. You know, we have a tremendous faith, don't we, brethren and sisters? And we, we believe it because God has done it with Christ. I want you to come to Romans chapter 4. You know, Romans 4 tells us of the value of the faith of Abraham who looked and believed God against all human odds that God will make him a great nation. And we read in Romans 4 from verse 23. Now, it was not written for his sake, for Abraham's sake alone, that it was imputed to him. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, God will impute us righteous. God will count us as worthy of his kingdom. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. And we do believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. That means we believe there is a God. We believe there is a God that can raise up people and recreate them in life. Give them back their memories and their character and their experiences and their memories. Jesus was delivered for our offences and raised again for our justification. Forget the chapter divisions because they're not part of the original. Therefore, on the basis of that, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We should not fear the future, brethren and sisters. If we are trying to follow our God, if we're trying to live the life... We should not live in fear of the future. By whom we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And if God raised up Jesus from the dead, he can also raise us up. Brethren and sisters, such is our hope. And as we're seeing that we're laying to rest some of our beloved brethren, we know they will stand again upon the earth. We know the day is coming when we shall see the fulfilment of our hopes by the mercy of God. When we shall meet again our loved ones and faithful companions and to sing together about the joy we have in the love of God for us. And we come this morning to remember our Lord who died and was buried and rose again that we might live and not die eternally. As we reflect upon our Lord Jesus Christ, let us remember the immense cost to our Heavenly Father in watching his only beloved Son die that necessary death, that cruel and shameful death that was needed for our salvation. Let us remember the agony and the love of our Lord Jesus, obedient unto death, dying to save all of his brethren. And I want you to come in conclusion to John chapter 6. 
You know, in John chapter 6, Jesus spoke often about the resurrection. He spoke about the last day. And this was a subtle message to the zealots who we read in verse 15, wanted to take him and make him a king right then to drive out the Romans. And Jesus had to give them a very clear message. It wasn't about this life. It wasn't about the first century. It's about the long-term view that we need to have. But his words are so encouraging to us. I just want to just read the end of a few verses. Read what it says in verse 37. And the Father hath given me, and all that the Father hath given me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. If we failed, it won't because God has thrown us out, because we decided to leave. At the end of verse 30, this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. The end of verse 40, I will raise him up at the last day. The end of verse 44, I will raise him up at the last day. The end of verse 47, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Does it mean that we can't fail? What it means is that it's there if we'll take it, if we'll give ourselves to God. In verse 50, that a man might eat thereof and not die, not die eternally, obviously, because all the people hearing this would die. And so we come down to verse 53 and 54. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. As we take the bread and wine, let us rejoice in the certainty his victory has achieved. He has the keys of the grave. He can conquer death. Death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? And like Job, we know and we surely believe that our Redeemer lives and that we shall stand again on the earth with all of God's servants, small and great. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words.
Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.